Josh Spitzer, one of the co-directors here at the table. Welcome to Advent 2021. Today we're going to be playing good news to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, as we wait for the fullness of time, when God will be all in all and His goodness will be the goodness of all creatures, God is awakening us to His presence in what feels like absence. And He is equipping us to stand in His presence. Lift up your heads today and stand present in your body before God. Who is unchangingly good. Advent is a season of waiting. We're waiting for Christmas. It's a season of historically waiting for the Messiah to be born. And for us in present day, we're waiting for Christ to return, for all things to be set right. It's often framed as if we're waiting for God to act. But God is unchanging and has continued to be acting. He's already acted and he continues to act today. He's presently here active. God has already done all that needs to be done and he continues to do that work. So we aren't hoping for something new from God in Advent. We're hoping for something new in our world, something new brought about by the unchanging goodness of God being allowed or given space to bring about change that needs to be made. Church, we are not praying for God to be a better God than he has been already. But we are praying for ourselves and for the world to open up to the unchanging goodness of God so that all things will be brought into their fullness, brought into what God created and desires for them. God unchangingly is acting on creation. Various creatures respond to his action in ways that change them and therefore change our world. So what does it mean to enter a season of waiting on the God who is always present, always acting, always faithful? What work is to be accomplished in the waiting? If he is always acting, present, faithful, then what is it that we're waiting on? And is waiting at odds with working? Hasn't the white church been waiting long enough for justice to flow like a river? So what are we doing as we wait in Advent, in this season of longing? In our Old Testament passage in Jeremiah, God is promising to fulfill his promise. This part of Jeremiah is deeply hopeful because God is doubling down and reminding Israel of his promise and his intent to fulfill that promise. But it also comes at a super painful moment because Jeremiah is already aware that this work will not be completed in his own lifetime. So the work that Jeremiah is taking on, he knows he will not see it come to fruition. But he knows that God's work will be accomplished even though it will be outside of his lifetime. The passage starts off by saying, The days are surely coming when I will fulfill my promise. And the promise goes on to be enumerated as justice and righteousness being spread throughout the land. It goes on to say that Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Now, there should have never been a split between Judah and Israel. So we see that God's sovereignty is salvation. God allows the things that we make, even when we shouldn't have made them, to have a place in what he's accomplishing in our world. Even when we ought not to have done something or created something, God is accounting for it in his making of all things new. God's character and his nature are one. It would be a tragedy if God could make promises that he wouldn't go on to fulfill. And it's because of his character and who he is 
that he fulfills his promises. It's not conditioned by our own worthiness or our own action. But his promises are defined by his character and his nature. And since his nature and character are unchangingly good, unchangingly present, unchangingly faithful and active, we are simply praying in Advent that God would be God to us. Not that he would be a better God, not that he would come, not that he would change, but that he would be God to us. And when we pray that Christ would come during Advent, we are praying for the fulfillment of all things and for Christ's return but also we're praying that Christ would awaken us to the Spirit's ongoing presence and work in our midst. In the psalm from today, it says, To to you I lift up my soul, in you I trust. Make your ways known to me, show me your paths, lead me into your truth, and teach me. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble in his way. It says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast. They are all steadfast love and faithfulness. So here we see this picture of contemplation and action going hand in hand. It's not just sitting back and saying nice thoughts out loud maybe, but there's actually this work that we're being pulled into. We're being drawn into the active life of God. By lifting up our souls to the Lord, by trusting Him, by gathering around His table and being remembered as His body, we're opening up space for God's ways and paths to be made known to us. God is always faithful to lead and to teach us, but we must must consent to be led and to be taught. A look at 1 Thessalonians, our New Testament passage from today. This passage is all about prayer. Paul's praying, it says he's praying night and day earnestly that he might be back with the Thessalonians. I think that the way that we're viewing God, who God is and his action in this this season of waiting in 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 Advent, the little Lent, is we ble- it bleeds into what we think and believe about prayer. So Paul's prayers are not him trying to put pressure on God or trying to change God's mind. So if he can just make the right case, God would believe, oh, it is a good idea actually for you to be back with the, Th- the Thessalonian church. What's happening is that Paul is owning his desire before God. And something happens when we make our desires known before God. That doesn't mean if we release our faith and we say no words of doubt that 100% of the time exactly what we say we want will happen, but something happens. God's desire is for us to own, to get real about our desires and bring them to Him. Prayer is necessary to bring us into one another's presence so that when we are present, we can do what can only be done in that moment when we are present to that moment and to each other. And in that way, Advent isn't just about waiting on the coming of God, but it's also about waiting on the coming of our neighbor. This different orientation towards God and God's work in the world fundamentally shifts the way that we relate to one another. When we consent to God's ongoing work in our world and his ongoing work in the lives of our neighbors, then we will develop an allergy for for coercion. All these miniature ways that we can coerce passive-aggressively, not owning our desires with our neighbors or with God, but just trying to behave in a way that hints here, we're just dropping breadcrumbs. But as we get real about believing that God is present and active in our lives and in the lives of our family and our coworkers and our neighbors, we naturally will draw an allergy from inside of us to this type of action. 
I was thinking, as I was preparing, I was thinking about a parenting example. It's like some, every now and then I get this like burst of energy or the schedule just aligns where I'm like, okay, this Saturday, there's nothing on the calendar. This is going to be a perfect parenting day. So I know like the strategy is set. Mal, like you've got the kids from this time to this time. I'm gonna like make this plan. We're gonna go to the zoo from 10 to one. We'll eat lunch at the zoo, which is a special treat and like way too expensive for the quality of the food. And then we're gonna come back and we'll hang out as a family and then we'll watch a movie that night. There's like literally nothing could go wrong in this space. But if you've ever tried making a plan like this, you know that inevitably you get like five minutes into this grand and oftentimes expensive plan and things start to go wrong. There's no way of planning a perfect relationship around events. You can't strategize around it. But the real relationship, the real parenting happens in those moments of raw emotion and vulnerability. And what's honestly there for both parties, parent and child alike, comes out in that moment. Now, there's, we have all kinds of different ways that we often respond to these. Like a lot of us will spiral out in shame. Some of us will just deny that these feelings come up within us. But neither of those is how God is trying to meet us in these moments. But I think the answer to this is that we are becoming present to the ongoing work in our own lives, our own formation, and the ongoing work that God is doing in our kids' lives, in our friends' lives. And we have to bear witness to that. that is, there's no pressure to be perfect, but God is drawing us into being present to what's coming to the surface in those moments. We don't know when the world will come into full alignment with God's never-changing goodness, but we continue to pray towards that moment, not to change God, but because in voicing to God what it is that we want, we are mysteriously participating in the change that will happen in the world. By owning our desires, by getting real about what we want and opening space to wait and sit with those, God is doing something within us that then allows us to inhabit those meltdowns with our kids at the zoo differently than we would have otherwise. Our gospel passage is in Luke 21. It's super important to note that depending on your church background, you may have received a super definitive way of reading this passage. Uh, another way of saying this is you could take the boy out of the left behind, but you can't take the left behind out of the boy. So you have to like maybe read it two or three times to be like, wait, what's going on here? And that's, I mean, that's what it was like for me this week in preparation, to be honest with you. It seems so obvious if you're brought up with a certain lens to see this as God, as Christ talking about the apocalypse and his own return. But many scholars believe that the verses preceding this passage are actually Christ foretelling the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD. And in verse 32, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. So I'm not going to you know, make a case for either way of reading it. I would just say the way that I'm learning to read this is that Christ is talking about the temple He's still talking about the fullness of time, but he's not talking about the rapture in this passage. And Jesus says, look at the trees, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you know that summer is near. He's saying, look for the kingdom coming like you're looking for leaves sprouting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. There's a certainty here that God will be God, that God will be all in all and the goodness of God will become the goodness of all creatures. All things will not just be redeemed, but they will be perfected. And that is certain. But we don't know how we'll experience this in our lifetimes. Towards the end of the passage, Jesus says, be on guard, be alert. And again, there's a lot of different ways that we've been formed into reading this. 
But he's not talking about being alert so that you don't fall into sin or be alert so that you can avoid all slippery slopes or be alert so that you can win every culture war as it comes to the surface. But it's a call to alertness to the presence of God hidden in what seems like absence. It's a call to be on the lookout for the kingdom coming. Lift up your heads, church. Whatever difficulty is there, whatever noise is there, whatever hateful words are there, lift up your heads because Christ is breaking through there. As we wait for the fullness of time when God will be all in all and his goodness will be the goodness of all creatures, God is awakening us to his presence in what feels like absence and he is equipping us to stand in his presence. Lift up your head today and stand present in your body before a God who is unchangingly good, who is unchangingly active, who is unchangingly faithful. So what is all this waiting in Advent all about? It's about learning to consent to God's presence and action all around us, in our lives and in the lives of those that we encounter every day. We're not trying to convince God to change or to move or to act or to show up. But in Advent, we open up space to reflect on the waiting and to lean into the waiting more fully. As we open up this space to wait, we are joining in God's patient, ever-present, always active, all-consuming goodness. We encounter Christ in the waiting, and we are transformed. We are embodied. We start to embody Christ, and we can extend His presence as we walk in this posture of consent instead of coercion. Where is God inviting you into an awareness of His Spirit's presence this morning? What's the space the relationship or the situation that God seems most absent from. Friends, be on the lookout for the ever-present, outward-flowing, self-giving presence of God. Pray that you have eyes to see and strength to stand and bear witness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.